Welcome to the Inside Aesthetics Podcast. Our mission is to strip away the myths and hype that often surround the aesthetics industry. Inside Aesthetics aims to get to the bottom of the important topics that concern medical and allied health professionals, as well as the consumers themselves. We'll be showcasing the thoughts and experiences of experts in their respective fields. Each podcast will focus on a specialty, including surgery, non-surgical procedures, nutrition, well-being, and business knowledge from the personalities that have helped shape our industry. This podcast and its related publications provide news and general educational information about cosmetic procedures and well-being. It does not promote or endorse any cosmetic procedure, brand, or product. You should seek professional medical assessment before considering any treatment. Our guest today is Dr. Arne Nguyen. Dr. Arne is a specialist plastic and reconstructive surgeon based in Perth, Western Australia. She has a special interest in cosmetic facial, breast and body contouring surgery. Dr. Arne joined us on the podcast for two episodes in which we covered both surgical and non-surgical procedures relating to functional and aesthetic vaginal rejuvenation. Good afternoon, Anne Nguyen. Hi, Jake. How are you? Very well. How are you? Pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. We, um, we've cobbled this together quite late in the day, <laughs> but you've been amazing to get here. And uh, why were you here in Sydney? Tell us about your trip. Uh, I actually came for Unleash the Power Within, so a Tony Robbins uh, event that I've been wanting to go to for years. Okay. And it just aligned quite well. Seven and a half thousand screaming fans and Tony Robbins and his, uh, you know, entourage of power speakers and motivational so he's a motivational coach. speaker. Yeah, he's lots of things, I think. I, I always struggle to find what's the best word to describe him, but mm. he does lots of things. He's a, he's a very strong businessman as well. Strikes me as the type of person that you'd be interested in. Yeah. Dealing. Did you walk on hot coals? I did. I did. <laughs> How are your feet? <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, before I left, uh, a colleague of mine, because we do burns, said to me, I do not want you in the burns department <laughs> with burns at the sole of your feet. That would not be a good look. How long were you on the coals? Like seconds? Yeah, seconds. It wasn't, it was... So it's not magic, it's just like you're you're not touching it long enough to burn. Is that basically what yeah, you're saying? Yeah, well, uh, it's about sort of framing your mindset in a particular way to change, channel the energy correctly. So, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Tony Robbins was, talks about getting yourself always in the right condition, yeah. putting yourself in the right state, and then physical, mental, spiritual, and okay. then preparing Uh and then going for it. And so it's it's it goes within a blink of an eyelid. Yeah. It's more just the mental preparation, yeah. really. Interesting. Was that your first time you've gone and seen? Yeah, I've read lots of his books, yep. but the first time I've, uh, yeah, I've gone to one of his events. And was it, was the hype real? Was it as amazing as what you had anticipated? The hype was real and the, a lot of the messages were really powerful. Mm. Uh, I guess I'm just not. Maybe I'm too old for the rock star. Too old. <laughs> sort of dancing and jumping around yeah, right. for most of the days because they're long hours, yeah. long days. Yeah. Well, I mean, mm. you're already a very successful person in your own right, so it's interesting to go and have these sort of uh, sort of discussions or go and see people like Tony Robbins and sort of come at it from you've already uh, achieved so much and then is, uh, was it inspiring for you to sort of do things even beyond what you're currently doing? Or Yeah, so it was... Yeah, I, I do get that question a lot. Why Why are you going to this? And it's more just to sort of, you know, find that edge 
mm. or what areas in your life you're missing yeah. or areas that you're you need to improve. And it's actually really good because it's good at reflection of there's so many components of your life. And, you know, you know, on my own personal reflection, the career side's done well and that's good. But, you know, it comes at a cost. And so trying to work on your personal, emotional well-being, your physical yeah. well-being, your, you know. And so it's just like looking at those elements and where you can improve. Yeah. Um, because it's, you know, they say two millimetres of improvement anywhere makes a big difference. So, you know, if you can increase any area by 2%, how much does that accumulate to over a lifetime? Yeah, marginal gains, I think they call Yeah, it. marginal gains, but huge impact. Yeah, that's right. awesome. But the key is... Not just learning it, but following through and being consistent and, you know, practicing what you've learnt because it's so easy to learn it all and we've heard it before and then walk away and go, yeah, that was great. Yeah, uh, what the, was that again? Yeah, that's the tough part, right? That Impl is. Implementing, implementing it and forming it. those habits. Yeah, it's changing those habits. Yeah. Now, mm. and um, I can't believe that people wouldn't have heard of you, but for those who don't know who you are, our listeners, what, what is your practice and what do you do and what do you specialise in? Yeah, so I'm a plastic surgeon by training uh, and my practice is largely, you know, in the aesthetic field. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a clinic that does, that provides plastic surgery uh, as well as reconstructive surgery and then the non-surgical aesthetic uh, treatments and... Yeah, and then I do one day a week in public just doing trauma and skin cancers and reconstructive work. And training as well, I read, for the junior plastic surgeons. Yeah, I do a bit of training and teaching. That's probably the main motivation behind doing the public work one day a week. Yeah. Just, you know, hopefully to inspire the young ones or to give them hope that it's not all hard work. With Tony Robbins' messages on the ward. Uh, yeah, or, 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 or my own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've spoken to um, quite a few plastic surgeons and it seems that many of them still do a lot of this public hospital work, whether it be microsurgery or trauma and, and giving back a lot. Does that? Do you think part of that, um, wanting to continue doing that, is to feel like, I guess sometimes cosmetic medicine or surgery can seem like the dark arts, like you're sort of going to the dark side yes. a little bit. Do you think that maybe it's a little bit of, I want to be doing real medicine or giving back? Is, it, is that, do you think, part of the, the sort of uh, the driving motivator behind doing that sort of stuff? I, I think it's, it's um, yeah, it's all of those things. I think it's, it's nice we did all this training, you know, putting back fingers and cutting out skin cancers and reconstructing big defects, and it seems a shame that you, you don't use it, um, keeping up to date with that, being involved, a bit of variety. And also there is that conscience side as well because it is thought that, the work that we do, the aesthetic work is perhaps, you know, all about vanity and and it's nice to be able to do, you know, real medicine. But yeah. it's not real. It's all it's all important. It's just it's uh just gives you a bit of variety and, you know, the teaching side is good as well. Absolutely. Mm. Why did you choose plastics originally? Uh I well, she works on coal. She likes pain. <laughs> <laughs> yes, plastic surgery is not all glamorous. I can say that. Um, it was a job that I did at the Children's Hospital in Melbourne because mm -hmm. uh, I'm originally from Melbourne and I was just amazed at the things that could be done. I didn't even know it was possible. Yeah. And I think that's the ability to be able to fix any defect yeah. anywhere in the body was quite appealing to me, the yeah. variety and the, f and it wasn't like a cook, a recipe cookbook. 
like you master these steps and you can do it. Yeah. There's a lot of lateral thinking, a bit of creativity. And I think it's one area where the actual appearance and the aesthetics is important as well as just not just, well, you've you've got the gallbladder out, so, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. um, you should be happy. That it's was more, my old job. Yeah, well, much. I did a lot of gallbladders. I did general surgery before plastics as well, and I loved it as well. Yeah. But I think in, in medicine or in general surgery or any other non-plastic surgery, it's an expectation. You've got a problem. It's your job to fix it because mm-hmm. that's your job. Whereas in the aesthetic field, it's not your job to fix anything, but they're incredibly grateful because you've changed their life and they weren't expecting it. And yeah. that's something different. It's psychology as well, isn't it? A huge, lot of that. huge. Yeah. And one of the uh, one of the messages that, that sort of Jake and I have taken away, well, Jake knows this as well, doing, following the, the surgical pathway for a while, was just how grueling that training is. Like the the long hours, the the stress, the just the long road ahead. Even getting onto the plastics program to begin with is like really really tough. And I can't um, imagine as a female, maybe that would have been even harder as well. Is that is that an incorrect assumption on my part or was this, is the struggle as real as what I'm imagining it would have been? Yeah, the struggle is real. I mean, I think getting onto the program, male, female, I don't think it really makes a difference yep. because it's all about merit and quality and what you've got to give and potential and all of those things. Getting through the program is tough um, just because – there was a mindset of trying to, you know, weed out those who weren't tough enough, sort of this survival of the fittest yep. uh, mentality. Uh, let's keep pushing you until we break you. <laughs> and so to get through is like a badge of honour that you're unbreakable. And I think back then I was always a bit critical of why is it so harsh and why does it need to be so gruelling? And, you know, it's it's the whole principle of mastery to a degree. If you do your 10,000 hours of whatever, then you get good at it. Yeah. And so if they're not going to push you to do this, then how are you going to be better at a particular area? And so the, the, the hours were tough. Um, tougher, as a woman, tough only because there's you're supposed to be just as good as the, the men and, you know, but um, I think being a mum during training, that was the hardest actually yeah, right. because having a child and still doing the hours. And I remember my boss telling me 38 weeks, okay, you can you can take off from 38 weeks. And I said, really, you're giving me 10 days off before my Caesar? Is that – and you just go, okay, that's fine. You just keep going and you still do your on call because you don't want to be thought of as soft, oh, she can't do it because – she's a mum or yeah. nah, she can't do this public holiday because she's got kids. So you just keep rolling with it. It's tougher. Yeah. It is harder, um, but harder because you've got the guilt of you've got other responsibilities as well. Yeah. And I guess I should clarify in terms of, yes, having like, it's like, it's like a 10 year chunk out of your life at least. Yeah. It's- um, so kids and just like the physical stress and strain would be quite full on. I guess. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it is. But I think, you know, with anything, anything to get the top of the legal profession, the accounting profession, you know, you want to be a top singer or a dancer. Oh my gosh, it's really hard. You just got to keep going. Yeah. And I think that it's easy for people when they see you achieve or at the top of your game, they don't see all the hard work and the sacrifices that that you or other successful people have made to get there. Yeah. Well, it's like social media, isn't it? (laughs) You know, it looks glamorous if only they knew everything behind the scenes or, you know, people look at the supermodels or, oh my gosh, they're so amazing. Look at them. They're just so perfect. And they don't realize, well, 
they probably haven't eaten for a long time and <laughs> they have to train and they've got to look after their skin and their hair and they've got minders and it's it's rigid. It's Living disciplined. in hotels and it's yeah, not, not it's, as glamorous as it seems. Everything's disciplined. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about the Perth or Western Australia market, cosmetic market, and maybe injectables as well because that interests me? Yeah, of course. Um WA is a different market, I think, than the rest of the country. I'd having come from Melbourne, moving across, I was I was a bit shocked, um, only because they're a bit more laid back. It's very much a beach culture, spending outdoors, family. Um, back then, it wasn't very much. You know, everyone was focused on aesthetics and and keeping up and so lots of lots of the treatments that are well known along the east coast are take a bit longer to get across to the west coast yeah uh but it's a big market a big potential market um there's a lot you know things to do with breast surgery or liposuction or just any sort of cosmetic surgery is 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 big anywhere because everybody wants to look good um and even more so when you've got a beach culture like there's a Everyone's at the beach. Um, and I think also, you know, with a big big population in mining, there's a lot of, you know, potential, you know, potential to to generate, tap into that sort of that sort of market. They want to, you know, they work hard, but yeah. they've got the means to do things as well. I mean, my understanding was, you know, the mining boom has tailed off quite significantly so has that has that impacted economically and filtered through to people like yourself i mean obviously you're super successful but what would you say the general uh you know injector or or cosmetic surgeon is sort of feeling i think to the the days of you know the mining glory is gone and you know everywhere they've trimmed the excess and so people are a bit more uh, cautious with their money. Yeah. I think people still want to look good, um, but perhaps you have two generalised groups of clientele or patients, so to speak. You've got those, the large majority that are more price sensitive, mm-hmm. I'd say, um, and then you've got those that regardless, it's they want whoever they want the to best. go to see and yeah. that's that's how it is. So I think if you're in the the higher end market, it's much the same because it's always the smaller end and it's still fairly similar. If you're in the more price sensitive market, it's tougher for that market because everyone's trying to compete on price and the quality of the service now and the skills is so much higher. You know, so many people can do beautiful lips um, and, you know, the, the laser laws have changed in WA as well. And That's so right, yeah. there's, there's you see it more in the, the shopping centres, you know, one brand, one franchise group against another franchise group against another. And so it's, as a consumer, yeah, as a consumer, you've got a lot more choice uh, and competition. I think, I guess if you're, if you're set on, you know, establishing yourself as this is, what you offer and this is your standard, you know, you always add value rather than reduce price yeah. is the way I see it. Yeah. Um, and that's – so it hasn't really affected, you know, what I do yeah. so, so much. But uh, I guess if you were trying to increase your market share, yeah. it would be competitive. Mm-hmm. Not that my geography of Western Australia is fantastic, but do you have surgeons, you know, out in Kimberley and other more remote places or is everyone out in Perth? 
It's generally everyone's in Perth. And so people who are in regional WA and it's so big do travel. So yes. they might – so travelling to Perth might take just as long as travelling to Darwin. Yes. Or to Phuket. Yeah. Or to Bali or to Sydney, you know. And so people are more conscious of – of where they're going and so yeah. forth. There are surgeons that do travel out remotely, but they only travel out remotely to consult. They don't travel out remotely to, to yeah. perform the surgery. So you want your base so, and your yeah. team with you. Yeah. And so people still have to travel. Um, and so they do, they can go anywhere. Okay. Mm. And what was the, um, the motivating factor that caused you to move from Melbourne to WA? Sun damaged Brits. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I was always... A Melbourne girl, strong Melbourne girl, thought I'd stay there and sometimes I wish I was still there, but no. No, I moved for, lo- for love. Oh, okay. Mm, I married a Perth man. Oh, there mm, you go. So, yes. Well, yeah. it sounds like it's all worked out in the end. Oh, well, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> um, I can't remember if you explained about your actual practice itself, but what do you, what, what's your specialty? What are you best known for? Um, I do a lot of plastic surgery, aesthetic work, uh, breast, body, and probably labiaplasties would be either one, two, or three, depending upon the time of year and the season. Mm. And that's why we've got you here today. Yeah, well, labiaplasty definitely would be one where being a female has really made a big difference, and a lot of women come to me for that reason. Yeah, we Mm. we were going to sort of asked, do you, do you find that women naturally gravitate to a female surgeon for, you know, intimate procedures like that versus a male breast surgeon who doesn't really seem to impact on females choosing a male or a female surgeon? I believe that in most areas of cosmetic surgery, I don't think being a woman versus being a man makes a huge difference, more yeah. so than, you know, the powerful reason why people choose to connect with you and engage, you know, in the same way as Apple versus Samsung or whatever else it is. But I think when it comes to intimate areas, absolutely, because they might go to every other surgeon for every other thing, but when it comes to that area, they don't want a a man looking at that area, judging Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. I guess you'd also have patients um, potentially with um, religious beliefs where they're not allowed to um, have another man Matt. touch them. So that puts you in a fairly unique position. And and it's really interesting because I get a lot of patients whose partners have sent them in yeah, to see right. me. Okay. So the number of women who see me because their their partners have chosen me. Interesting. Hmm. Says something as well. Yeah, mm. especially when it comes to labiaplasty, it does. It's. I mean, I've been Jake and I've been researching for a little while about who we might potentially mm. have on to discuss this mm. procedure, and it seems like a lot of surgeons have it as part of their repertoire, but it mm. doesn't seem, or for us, up until we obviously um, had a chat with you, um, sort of special. It's hard specialising it, so it's been hard to sort of find who does a lot of it, who specialize. You want someone that does this sort of stuff all the time in that sub-specialization. Mm. It's quite a – you don't want stuff to go wrong down there. I mean, you don't want stuff to go wrong anywhere, but yeah, particularly – Yeah, of course. Of course. It's, it's a sensitive area. It's, uh, you know, um, and it's incredible, but it does affect a woman's psyche a lot. Yeah. Mm. A lot. Now, I'm going to mm. ask you uh, – perhaps might be like a, a polarizing question um, – do you think that um, things like Photoshop and like magazines and potentially even the adult film industry um, have given women an unrealistic 
picture of how certain parts of their anatomy should look? 100%. I think there's, I mean, the the rise in the labiaplasty has been attributed to lots of things. You know, the poor Brazilian got blamed for it. Um, But I think if we look further, there are, you know, lots of um, censorship reasons why we think, well, a woman thinks that everyone should have an innie. Yeah. So they can't see anything. And I think it was more – there was a good documentary on the BBC many years ago and it was something along the lines of airbrushing to a fine line. Mm-hmm. And it's a great documentary to watch. But essentially it showed that if you see in in any form of porn a female's inner lips, so their labia minora on mm-hmm. view, then it's deemed too explicit and therefore you can't get an R rating. It has to be X rating or beyond. And so it affected censorship everywhere. Right. And so it was just routine that everyone airbrushed the female area so you couldn't see anything. And so it's just only the outer lips yeah. that you could see. Um, what a weird arbitrary kind of Yeah, it's, 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 it's strange. It sounds and like so, a rule made up by a man. I don't know. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I guess because of that, that's all we see and that's all we think we're supposed to look like because it's not as though, you know, breasts, we all see each other's breasts in the change rooms. You know, it's not you like you're down there investigating. No, no, you're not looking at other people's, <laughs> that area, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that's an area that women go and do research and have a look and think how's it supposed to look? Oh, but it's not right. It's just not right. Well, yeah. How else would you have access? I mean, with you've got like anyone can access these you know, these uh, websites from their phone. So, I mean, if that's your only reference point, then I guess it stands to reason that's what people think should be normal. And if they don't look like what they see, then there's something wrong with them. Yeah. I think- Which is a shame, I guess. It it, it is a shame because, you know, know, when I do a consultation with lots of these women, I always show them, you know, these are some pictures of a whole range of evolval areas and you can go online and, you know, there, there are people who've created casts of 50 different types of, you know, women's vulval areas. That's and a you'll good see, job, isn't it? It's yeah, well, and it's been, of. yeah, it's been, um, <laughs> there have been exhibitions on it and it just goes to show, you know, women's vaginas come in all different shapes, sizes, looks, whatever. But I think it doesn't change how you see yourself. And I would say that, you know, nine out of ten patients, I will say, I tell them all, you're all normal. There's such a big variation of normal. Yeah. You Just know, like no size, hair No colour. size, hair colour, height, you know, like four foot something versus six foot something. It's still normal. There's nothing wrong with you. It's just whether it bothers you or not. But even telling all these women and showing all of them, this is the whole variation of just a sample of what you could look like. Um, and what people do look like, it doesn't change how you feel about yourself. They'll still navigate to the sort of the the higher end of the average in inverted commas. Yeah, or it's more just they just don't want to um, have anything feel, on show. Yeah, feel that they're not normal. You yes. know, it's kind of like the kid who's got prominent ears. They don't want pretty ears. They just don't want it to be prominent that they notice it all the time in every yeah. photo or people comment on it. You know, and I think I think that's that that's that area. So that you know. 
a lot of women will say, well, you know, I feel self-conscious in my own bathers or in lingerie. I don't want a bulge there. I don't want this, that or the other. And it really affects my confidence. I think it's not they want a designer vagina. They just want it to be so they don't have to think about it and they don't have to see it and therefore it's fine. Yeah. I think that's what it is. Um, We're trying to steer away from the whole concept of the designer vagina because that just creates a breed of unrealistic expectations that, that, as we know in aesthetics, is just, you know, impossible where, you know, the bar just keeps changing. Um, When we were researching this topic, David and I were sort of trying to work out, is there any cultural or racial um, beliefs or characteristics that make people seek this or...? Yeah, I think um, it's more just the cultural ideals and cultural variation. Um, I think, for example, in the African subcontinent, if you've got more prominent labia minora and it's thicker and and larger, it's maybe a, perhaps a sign of fertility and, oh, right. you know, sexuality mm. and it's a desired yeah. thing, you know. Um, apparently in Japan they like them to be more butterfly-shaped, whatever that is. <laughs> okay. Um, and, but in the Western culture we want as less on view as possible. Yeah, it's really interesting how that comes about. Yeah, well, we see it with everything. You see it with fashion, you see it with like um, – a lot of Asian people that come to Australia want their skin to be white. So they're yes. walking around with umbrellas and wearing a thousand plus sunscreen yes. every day. Whereas we're all here trying to bake ourselves as brown yeah. as we can possibly be, which is kind of ironic because most of us probably ourselves. shouldn't be <laughs> going that brown. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And do you find that um, certain ethnicities have a tendency to have certain aesthetic appearances or is it sort of, it sort of doesn't really discriminate that way. It's sort of just across the board. You see variations. It doesn't really matter their ethnic background. I think it's uh, it's independent, really, of ethnicity. Certain things, for example, where we're doing vulval whitening or something, that is that is more, you know, a, a concern in those with darker skin types or Asian or, you know, African um, Fitzpatrick type three to six sort of skin types where you are more likely to see some discoloration mm. um, in the groin area. But otherwise... Uh, yeah, volvals come in all different sizes, shapes, colours. Okay. I guess just to summarise what we're going to get into, we're, we're talking about functional and cosmetic uh, treatments of the female genitalia. So it's not just labiaplasty, but you, you touched on whitening uh, and we'll get into some of the other things. Yeah. Perfect. I mean, you know, I think we talk about the cosmetic side and that's a huge element of it in the sense of women just who seek it just don't like how it looks. And that's age independent. They age could be 20 or and I've, 70. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I've treated someone who's that age um, all the way up, you know, up into their 70s. Yeah. Um, and it is about how it looks, but there's also that functional element as well because mm. for a lot of them it's uncomfortable, it rubs, it chafes, they can't find nice lingerie because it gets caught. Yeah. Intimacies can be difficult and challenging because for two reasons. One is they're not in the right mindset because they're worried about how it looks down there and what is the other person going to think and then that affects the whole experience. Um, And then also, you know, the practical side of, you know, rubbing and chafing and tearing and trouble entering all those sort of issues. Okay. So 
maybe we'll talk about the non-surgical things first and then we'll come on to operative just yeah, so sure. we sort of go up in kind of seriousness. So I think the first one that you pointed out to us when we were researching was uh, the Mona Lisa... Touch. Remind me of the word touch. Yes. Yeah. What what is that? Yeah. So the Mona Lisa touch is a CO two laser. So it's a laser treatment uh, using CO two, which is an ablative laser. And it was originally developed by an Italian gynecologist who okay. was doing some surgery, and his friend, who is a dermatologist, they were at dinner, and I don't know what they were talking about, but. Something along the lines of he asked his mate, what do you do for scarring? Because you're a dermatologist. And the dermatologist said, well, you can do, you know, steroids, you can use silicon, you can do all of these things, or you could do laser. And and she said, well, why? He said, well, because I'm getting a bit of scarring when I'm doing, you know, gyne- gynecological procedures and it's causing pain and I want to do something about it. Mm. And so then the two of them came up with the Mona Lisa Touch, which is a laser that enters the vagina and very much like an intravaginal ultrasound that women would know, you know, when they're pregnant and they've had um, scans. And it's the principle behind it is that you are trying to rejuvenate, like you'd rejuvenate skin hmm. with laser, you're doing it to the vaginal uh, mucosa and epithelium. I guess... It was probably useful to summarise, taking a step back, sorry about this, what changes do happen to a woman when they get older and then we can jump into why Absolutely. you're doing it. Yeah. Okay, yeah, of course. So essentially he did it for scarring and, and pain and so that is one area. So yeah. people who've had, you know, painful um, episiotomy scars or surgery inside that has caused pain, yeah. uh, it's one area that you can treat. Um, commonly, though, it was designed for women who had menopausal symptoms. So with okay. menopause, with the drop in estrogen, it leads to dryness in the area, the mucosa and the epithelium thins, um, there's a reduction in blood supply and mucus secreting cells, so it becomes dry. Yeah. And... Uh, becomes more irritated uh, and it also changes the pH, so the acid-base balance and so you can get an overgrowth of certain types of bacteria Mm. and fungal things. So it affects all of those elements and then it's also thought that estrogen stabilises the bladder and so women who have, you know, go through menopause have issues with bladder irritability um, and urgency. And so the Mona Lisa Touch works in the way of you're trying to anti-age that area by stimulating, you know, increased blood supply, you know, more mucus secreting cells, changing the pH balance of the area. And interestingly, how it's thought it improves bladder function is more that it activates a a particular type of chemical mediator, Mm. um, heat shock protein, that one of the heat shock proteins that has a stabilizing effect on the bladder. And so that's how it's thought to, because how does a laser into the vagina affect yeah. the bladder? And that's that's the theory behind it. Um, and it's thought that, you know, a course of three to five treatments can improve the the health of the vagina, you know, a good 30 to 70 
even more percent. Hmm. Um, the criticism has been that it's quali- it's it's qualitative rather than quantitative. It's not as objective, yeah. and it's very hard to be objective in that area because how do you just measure rely on all of these to things? Say my vagina's better. Yeah, absolutely, and how satisfied they are with it. I mean, they did do anatomical studies where they did, you know, biopsies before treatment, biopsies after treatment, and it showed an increase in thickness and blood supply and all of those things from an anatomical point of view. But I guess it's more how does that translate to a physical change is, is another thing. Yeah. I think the real value in the Mona Lisa touch is, for example, in those who can't have estrogen-based replacements. So if you're menopausal, for a lot of women, you can take HRT or estrogen pessaries or creams, etc. If you're... Uh, f- can't have hormone replacement therapy, so breast cancer patients, for example, which is a large population, then they're limited in how they can address the symptoms in that area and lots of the other treatments like lubrication and so forth. And also just compliance. Who wants to use creams and pills and stuff? and I think that's an issue as well. And so that's been been an area that can can help. Great. Mm -hmm. So what does it look like? The, the Mona Lisa touch? It looks like a intravaginal ultrasound probe. So like a, a long probe? It's a long probe. Yeah, yeah long probe, um, metal probe, and it's inserted. It takes about five to ten minutes to perform, and it um, it's fractionated, so it's, you know, little columns mm-hmm. of beams of light, uh, and it just stimulates, you know, it, it, essentially, it's it's just a wound healing response. So you're creating micro trauma, yes. and then you're relying on your body to improve that area. So, for example, those who have those who are having the treatment that that are trying to restore it back to how it once was, it's probably going to last longer than those who have ongoing issues of a lack of estrogen, for example. So women, for example, after childbirth, then the area might be stretched or a bit loose or it's lost tone. Mona Lisa Touch can also help to tighten that area. Yeah. So you can think of it as using heat to tighten up. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there are other modalities as well. You can use radio frequencies. So there um, there are other companies that are now developing... Uh, similar principles, but using a different, you know, modality of energy to yeah. try and stimulate that area. So, you know, radio frequency is one one of the alternatives. Okay. So it sounds like they and the erbium laser as uh, well. Mm. But all these lasers, correct me if I'm wrong, um, originally were used for like resurfacing of the face and so on. So see, that's what I, my knowledge of, of CO two lasers always been like facial resurfacing. Absolutely. And then the fractionated technology came because it was safer because you left those columns of skin in between the treated areas that yes. you had reduction in scarring, increased recovery time, yeah. etc. So they've just taken this technology and uh, I guess it adjusted to another it. Area. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Very, well, we very see clever. a lot of that, don't we, with well, like lasers and we even, do lasers yeah. for you know we use lasers in general surgery. We use lasers in the eye. They use lasers for kidney you know surgery. So yeah. lasers have been around for a long time. It's not new science. It's just a new application, really. Yeah. You see that with everything, even like toxins were used originally for something else. And all of a sudden they go, hey, it gets rid of wrinkles. Yeah. This is great. Let's use it for that. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so mm. um, in terms of the procedure itself, so it takes five to 10 minutes. Um, you're doing local anesthetic, bit of sedation. Like what's the recovery no, like? No, so uh, most people, you don't need to do any sort of preparation at all other than have a recent pap smear that's, that's clear. Hmm. Um, but otherwise, it's... It shouldn't actually hurt when you're treating inside. If you're actually treating the outside area, the vulvar area, so for example, those who've got pain on 
you know, on entry, it's dry and irritated, then we'd use a topical numbing agent uh, for 45 minutes, an hour or so, and then just the treatment. Okay. It's fine. Mm. And recovery? Our recovery is you walk out fine. You just can't go swimming, uh, no intercourse for a minimum of three days, probably three to five days, ideally. Okay. And then how long until you would start seeing the benefits of the treatment itself? Yeah, so turnover of cells is at least 28 days. So we would say the second treatment should be around that time frame. So about mm. four weeks later, uh, we do the second treatment. And we always counsel patients that when you come for your second treatment, you won't have noticed much of a change. It's when you come for your third treatment, you'll start seeing the effects of the first treatment and so forth. It's the same as fat dissolving injections. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's why you have to tell them they need to commit to the course because if you just commit Bring to down the, the one, yeah, if you just commit to one, you'll think you've spent this money and nothing's happened, whereas yeah. it's still happening. The process takes time. Uh, joking aside, I, I, I was joking with that, but do you find that it's better to get your patients to commit by, you know, financially committing at the start because a lot will drop off if they don't get a result after the one? Uh, do you do it that way or not? Yeah, we, we do. Um, not, not necessarily financial commitment, but more a commitment to we want you to commit to the course of treatments mm. because we know that you're not going to get the results otherwise and yeah. you'll just be disappointed. Um, and so it's just trying – it's the whole education process. And, you know, I think if they're educated and they, they understand, um, it'll make sense. It's classic. I was at the physio today and it was sort of – this has taken you how long to develop? 10 years. Do you think one treatment's going to be all gone? Of course yeah. it's not going to be gone. Yeah. It's in the same way. And yet human nature is you still think you might be that one person who's cured. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, it's just the nature of just society in general these days. It's all about instant gratification. So it if is. you can't see that instant result, it's like, oh, this is rubbish. Yeah. Whereas so. people need to understand it's, it's a process and it takes time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and it is about lowering expectations. This is not designed to be the panacea. It's going to fix everything. It's only going to help improve. Yeah. And 98% of patients, according to all the studies and my own experience, get a result. But 2% don't have a response. And that's yeah. not bad because that's you could get good. a 90%, 98% you know, response rate, that's pretty good for a non-surgical tool. Yeah. Um, the degree of response in that, though, is variable. But, you know, I always say, what's the worst thing that can happen? The worst thing is that you're disappointed and you've wasted your money, so to speak. But yeah. it's not it's not going to be you're worse off because of it in yeah. terms of a physical way, if that makes yeah. sense. Uh, are there any risks, sort of burns or scarring or...? Yeah, I mean, they say they're all things, they are all risks that we document, but it is supposed to create a burn, a microburn. That's what it does. Yes. And it's we use lasers to treat scars. So it shouldn't cause any of those those things if you're following the right protocols and the patient's healthy. I think it's more just things might take a bit longer to heal yeah. if a patient's compromised, for example. Yeah. Okay. Is it kind of... It's pretty safe, though, because mm. it, the, the area is very vascular. It heals very quickly. It, 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 are the settings the same for everyone or do you alter no, it depending on age and... Age and what they're trying to achieve. So if you, it's a menopausal concern, then you're penetrating deeper. Crank into it the tissue. Yeah. Okay. And whereas if it's a tightening, it's more just at the at the surface. Just so, different modes. So what can it be useful for? So for tightening, for did you say some potential bladder issues? So uh, Yeah, so urinary um, urgency or urge incontinence, yep. but obviously not surgical yep. causes. Um, uh Dyspareunia, so painful intercourse, um, dryness, irritation, uh, yeah, laxity. 
Hmm. Um, yeah, and then the Volvo Lightning as well is and one area. What would you say like the overall patient satisfaction levels are like with these procedures? Would you say like you know, 90% of people are happy or is it a bit more 50-50 or...? I think I guess it, patient selection could be is, important too, right? It's it's very much about patient selection. Uh, I think I think I mean I'd say most patients are really satisfied. Um, I think it's more just it's always the way with non surgical. It's an expense and they've got a result but but they've got to do it again down the track and so is it really you know, is it that, cost effective yeah, is it, depending is it on really, your own circumstance? But then, you know, if you pick the right patient, it changes their quality of life hugely yes. so that, you know, I've got a patient who comes in every 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 once in a while to have it done and she just factors it into a budget because that's really important to her because before that she couldn't have sex because it was so uncomfortable, yeah. so it affected her confidence and now just to be able to, to feel like a woman again, yeah. what it's it's nothing powerful, really it's kind of priceless. You can't put a price on that. Yeah, no, but people don't see that at the time. You know, I think it's the sh- the mindset we've got to try and shift the mindset in what we do as a, you know as providers to sort of shift it away from this is the treatment, this is the cost, these are the benefits to more. Okay, so you're not you, you haven't come for Mona Lisa touch or you haven't come for a labiaplasty. You've come actually to have the freedom and independence and the confidence to not be bothered by that area. Yeah, is that what it is? So so why don't you you trust me to recommend these are the things you need yeah. and we take it from there. Um, but everybody's is is of the mindset, no, nah, I want a meal of filler in my lips. I don't care, just I want a meal of filler, how much yeah. it's gonna cost. Whereas trying to change that perception, well, actually, no, you've come because you want beautiful lips. Why don't I let you, you know, talk about what areas you don't like and we can talk about how we're gonna improve that. I love that attitude. That's yeah, I'm not an injector, but if I was, I would take that. I'd be taking notes right now, going, I'm gonna use that in my consult. Yeah. Yeah, but you should. Like yeah. but it's just more in the same way as, you know, the women who come in who want breasts, for example. And it's, I want 400cc, smooth, round, moderate profile. This is what I want, you know, and I want you to make the incision under here and it has to be under the pocket. I'm like, okay, that's great. That's fine. Yeah. But let's just take a step back. I mean, it's great that our patients are so, uh, you know, knowledgeable. You know, it's great that they've researched it, but it gets to a point where it's, it's sort of become tunnel visioned and, and they're focused on size or the type of implant and they don't really understand how that's applied. Or Abs- my, my friend looks good with 400 cc. Yeah, I absolutely. Want <laughs> I want exactly the same as her. That's what she had. That's the brand. That's what I want. I yeah. said, yeah, but that's fine. But if I showed the same dress and put you in both people, you're not going to look the same. Yes, so you're a size 8 and you're a, a size 16 and a different race. It's or different. Whatever. It's different. And I always try to bring it back to the fact that, okay, Okay, no, no, no. Forget the size, forget the whatever. At the end of the day, what's your goal? You want to have hot boobs, yeah? That's what you want, hot breasts. Yeah. Whatever's going to look good so you look comfortable, feel confident, the whole lot. Yeah. So let's Let you now do your magic. I like give um, you a Jake's, Jake's analogy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal your thunder, but I've quoted you, so it's okay. <laughs> Which, <one? laughs> Which is when you say when you go to the restaurant and you order a steak, you don't tell the chef how to, how to make it. You just trust that he's going to make it taste good because you want to have a nice dining experience. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But that, that's essentially it. Yeah. Um, and I think it's become a bit commoditized. Mm. Yeah. And, I mean, it's good that patients are empowered and they're more informed, et cetera, et cetera. But... They've, they're coming to someone who has the training and experience and 
you know, to be able to make that judgment, yeah. you yeah. know. It's, 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 almost like, it's almost like a little bit of knowledge is dangerous because they don't know everything. They know enough to like sort of do a quick Google search and get some baseline facts. But in terms of all the nuances and all these other, well, you know, all the years that you've had to study, you sort of, you can't get that in a Google search. So. Yeah, and I think it's also hard because giving someone what they want doesn't mean they're going to be happy. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like the hardest thing. A lot of people want to bypass the consult to get, the hard facts and the price mm. and you know you, you were saying before we recorded that you run your own um, Instagram and, and so do I and sometimes you get a direct message from someone saying hey how much is a jawline filler or something and you're like I don't know I've never seen your face I, I don't know and yet people don't put two and two together to realise that that's a logical step before I can quote them. Yeah, it no. It must be the same for surgery. Oh, all the time. We, we get it all the time, phone calls. How much is a Miller filler? How much is this? How much is that? It's sort of like, well, it's like me calling up the mechanic saying, how much to service my car? Well, what type of car is it? When was the last time you serviced it? You know, what model is it? <laughs> what and, did you do to the car? And yeah. what have you done to it? You know, do you want a major tune-up or do you want just a, you know, Oil and change. Oil, oil check, you know, <laughs> yeah. and so it's sort of you can't expect them. It's just like, oh, you know, I need my house repainted. Well, how big is the house? How big is the house? What sort of paint do you want? You know, yeah. there's so many elements of it. And I've used those examples. Yeah. So we, we, like, I think it's about analogies and trying to explain it. And when you do explain it, people do understand, but yeah. it's still, you know, yeah, it's hard. Um, mm. Getting back to the Mona Lisa um, touch, um, is it what would make someone inappropriate? an inappropriate candidate for the procedure or is everyone potentially suitable? Yeah. I think uh, someone who has a surgical problem mm -hmm. and so if they tell me that, you know, they've, they can't hold their urine and it's been like that for years and then there's no way that a non-surgical tool is going to be able to fix that. Yeah. yeah. Um, whereas if they said, well, it's only since, you know, um, after the hot flushes came that I'm beginning to feel it's a bit more irritable and I need to go, then you think, well, that could most likely be menopausal related and it could be improved. Yeah. Um, those who've had chronic pain for a long time and have tried everything under the sun – uh, those who've got unrealistic expectations that it's going to bring them back to, you know, virginal state or whatever it is. And you do get some people who think, uh, I'm getting married soon. Can you put my hymen back and tighten me up? Oh, wow. Yeah. We do get that. Um, we don't do that. But yeah, I was, I was going to ask you, that's one of my mm. next questions about mm. the hymen. But um, how does it change the pH and, and why is that an issue? The pH area is it's more just um, if if I guess from a urinary tract infection point of view as well as from um, a thrush point of view and discharge yeah and discharge yeah. Um, as well as you know the odor and okay so it's all about the overall health in that area yeah. and getting the right bacteria in with you know the right balance um, yeah. of moisture okay, okay. we had um. Dr. Catherine Stone from New Zealand oh, yeah. having a chat with her. She's Cat. lovely. She, yeah. yeah. She's a, a, a laugh a minute. Very she doesn't yes. go by Catherine. It's Cat. 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 Yeah. Sorry. Cat. Well, I was just yeah. trying to be formal. Okay. Um, mm. And she was talking to us about PRP. Yeah. And she uses um, PRP in this area of the Absolutely, body. Absolutely, yeah. Have, do you have any thoughts on that? Have you had any experience? Yeah, or? I didn't talk about that. Yeah, I, um, I have used that as well, um, particularly for those who have menopausal-related issues. So... Uh, and I sort of use the analogy with patients that it's kind of like, 
you know, you've got this plant, and I'm terrible at looking after plants, uh, that just gets water and sunlight and that's it. And it's wilting and it's struggling and whatever else. And I could give it, I don't know, more vitamized water or something more fancy, yeah. or I could actually give it some good fertilizer or something really important underneath. So you're rebuilding hmm. or providing the building blocks so that, so in Mona Lisa Touch, we would do a PRP to try and create more building blocks underneath. And so yep. when the laser hits, it's going to do, it's got more to work with, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. Um, I've also used fat graft actually. Mm. Um, not uh, both for a volumizing element slightly, um, but also for the theoretical benefits of it being a stem cell. So you use it as an adjunct? Adjunct, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now I know that, Kat said that some of the data and clinical trials for this is is either not available or it's quite slim. Are you aware of any sort of papers that sort of is this all anecdotal? I guess is what I'm asking. It is. It is, and that's that's a hard thing. I think there is the potential to produce really good uh, papers on it, yeah. um, and it's probably going to come out of the US because they're very they're very proactive, um, and lots of the cancer centres of using different modalities um i think it's hard number one to sort of measure and quantify and randomize and blind and all of those elements to it yeah but i guess like you said it's certainly not going to harm yeah and i think it's more just so long as you know patients are educated and informed a lot of these patients have come because they've done everything else and it's been such a taboo topic and it's really affected their well-being. Yeah. You know, the number of women who come to me and say, I've went to my GP and he says, "I'm well, what do you expect? You're getting old. When they're in their 40s, it's like, what, so I'm not Jeez. allowed to have wow. sex? You know, that's just a that's terrible you, thing. David, yeah. <laughs> oh almost. Almost. Only a couple of years off, yeah. <laughs> no, but, but it's it, it's... It is a bit soul destroying if you're if you think well it's hopeless. There's nothing it. you're past it, and because it's such a taboo topic, nobody talks about it, and so you don't know. Yeah. Um, and it's it's estimated that up to seventy percent of women during their lifetime are going to have issues yeah, in that's that why area. We're doing the podcast because you know a lot of this stuff is really not well known. Yeah, no, it's really to important. Like me and David in the cosmetic industry, and I think you know it's a shame it's a taboo topic because, for example, you know male impotence blue tablet fixes it all it's like a wonder thing and it's not something that's taboo it's important it's a medical issue yeah it's important yeah just like women feeling that they can have sex and that it is comfortable enough yeah. that's also important absolutely mm-hmm. um so moving on you mentioned a little bit earlier the volvo lightning is that uh, how do you do that is that with the laser still yeah just a different setting more and superficial what sort of people come for that you mentioned different skin types yeah, so I think that area, the, the skin can become a bit darker mm-hmm. and a bit rougher and thicker. And um, some Why of that, is that might be, Even babies, you see, you know. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's just more the change in the environment from. And, and we see that. Like, for example, when you do a labiaplasty beforehand, when you've got extra tissue that is protruding beyond, it's a bit thicker, darker. Okay. And then once you've performed a labiaplasty, it's gone to being inside a bit more. Mm. And so it becomes pinker, lighter, more moist, softer. It's okay. just, I think, ad- adapting to the environment that it's in. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know whether the chronic chafing in a particular area 
is is prone to yeah, become a point. bit darker, or is it a, is it an inflammatory process, post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation to like an, an element of that? Yeah, um, but I think you said darker um, skin types tend to be more prone to darker genitalia, etc. I was Googling these terms and I came across some interesting things oh, okay. like anal bleaching. Yes. Uh, do you do that? And is that a thing? Uh, it <laughs> is a thing and it can be done. It's the same principles. Yeah. Uh, yes. So it, it in the same principles as, as bleaching the vulval area, so just moving back a bit or posterior a bit further. Yeah. Um, round, it, you can do the same thing. Okay. And is that a concern that people voice? Presumably if you're worried about the vagina and the anus is next door, do people notice these things or? Some do. Okay. Yeah, some Depends do. what your profession is and where yeah, your mirrors uh, are, I guess. Yeah, without saying, <laughs> yeah, it is. It, How it's would just, you check that on yourself? You've got to get savvy with the mirrors, don't wow. you? Okay. Yeah, well, it's interesting because, yes. <sighs> GoPro. Yeah, well, I've got a GoPro here, yeah. We should, we'll, we'll check your anus later, David, if you want. <laughs> yeah, no, no, people are doing it. And I mean, people do it different ways. They use topical agents as well. Well, I wanted to pick on your term because you said bleaching. So that implies that you're, you know, putting some liquid on and it yeah. sort of turns white. But no. you're using a laser. Yeah, we're using a laser. And then they can use a topical agent as well on top of it as well. So would you be approaching that? as like, say, a pigment treatment for the face. So you're just trying to... Okay. Yeah, absolutely. But okay. just obviously, you know, Different gentle. settings. And, yeah, yeah, of course. Gentler. And mm-hmm. what are the expectations? If you're, um, you know, very dark there and you've got lighter skin, can you match the, the rest of the body's skin or is it not as um, amazing as that? Yeah, I'd, I mean, I'd, I, I don't know. I don't think I've seen anyone quite as extreme. Okay. But we do... Like the, the the results are quite impressive, actually. Mm. Like more impressive than I would expect. And they're long lasting, are they? Yeah. Okay. Like, so, but I think it's always about patient expectations. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's sort of someone with really bad melasma. There's no way I know that I can't fix that. Full yeah. stop. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so if I can get a fifty percent improvement, that's that, that's like. really good. So that's as much as you can possibly expect doing lots of things and maintaining, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Perfect. Um. So with the procedure itself for lightening, is it the same sort of um, process in terms of patient preparation and aftercare as the Mona Lisa touch? Yeah. So walk in, walk out, few days of discomfort. Yeah. There might be some scabbing, peeling maybe I'm assuming. Yeah, minor, maybe. not really. Okay. Yeah. So it's fairly, fairly straightforward it was, and benign. It was very quickly, yeah. Okay. It was very quickly. Cool. So we were going to try and pack all this into one episode, but I think we will get you back for another episode to talk about the surgical treatments. Mm-hmm, sure. So um, unless you've got any other further questions. No, but I would like to know how um, people get in contact with Dr. Yes. Newell. So um, you've looks like you've got a, maybe a couple of different Instagrams. I was having trouble finding which one, like yeah. with the rural Dr. Newell, please stand up. Like, <laughs> I wasn't sure there's no. a few imposters. Oh my goodness, so can you yes. just tell us how people find you, whether it be website, social media? Yeah, so yeah. Um, website is uh, au. So and Arne's A-H-N. A-N-H. A-N-H, sorry. Yeah. Okay, So you've changed your name. You said Arne, but I've been calling you Anne. We discuss this. Oh, no. It's just when I always say Arn when people need to know how to spell it. Yeah, yeah. Because right. otherwise Anne will be, yes. you know, so like A double N E, A double N. Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah. yeah. So it's A and H, yeah. Um, and then the Instagram, there's a couple. There's a few actually. But the Dr. Arn Medispa one is for all general inquiries. Or if anyone wants to get in touch with me specifically, it's Dr. Arn underscore female plastic surgeon. 
Okay. Perfect. Instagram. Fantastic. Mm. Well, thanks for taking the time out. We yeah, appreciate no, it's been it. fun. Thanks so much for having me. We'll be back soon to talk about all things surgical related to down there. <laughs> Thank Speak you, to David. You soon. Thank you, bye. <laughs> See ya.